episode 72, Having Pride in Yourself with life coach and motivational speaker, Shannon Alcio. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful, but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I used my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. Here in the United States, we're just wrapping up the last of the Pride celebrations for 2019, which is an amazing time of year for my friends in the LGBTQ community and an awesome interview uh, to put a bow on those celebrations. Our guest this week is a very out and proud gay man who wants to remind us all that everyone needs to find pride within themselves, no matter who you are or how you identify. Going to tell you more about my buddy Shannon Algio coming up in just a moment, but before we do that, I want want to take a moment to acknowledge our listener of the week. That is Dre Marie 87 on Instagram. She recently shared last week's podcast with Neil Donald Walsh and said it's so reassuring to know that there are people out there looking for their purpose and asking themselves the important questions. Is this it? How can I be a better person? How can I live to my highest potential? I can relate to a lot of that personally, especially this past year, and it validated how I feel and see the world right now and how important it is to help others to help yourself. Live every moment like a burning house moment. That was a wonderful piece of wisdom from Neil Donald Walsh. Dre Marie 87, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me that you are part of this community. So thank you for spending a half hour with me each week. And if you would like a shout out, very simple. All you have to do is screenshot this podcast, upload it to Twitter or Instagram. You can tag me at CSC, Dan Mason, or you can join our private Facebook community, the Life Amplified Power Tribe. I'm in there throughout the week, giving you some extra inspiration that you don't get on the podcast. You can find the link for that in the show notes, or you can just leave those five-star reviews if you are so inclined up on Apple. And uh, while you're at it, if you're listening on the iHeartRadio app, don't forget to give us a follow. I'd be honored to mention you and just acknowledge you for making this podcast a part of your weekly routine. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for your time and thank you for being here. Let's talk about our guest this week, Shannon Algio. He is a life coach. He is a motivational speaker, a yoga and meditation teacher, and he's also the host of the podcast, The Soul Feed, which, as you'll hear about coming up in just a moment, was a very integral part of my life amplified journey, leaving corporate and discovering my purpose. So it's a full circle moment for me to invite Shannon here onto this podcast. Shannon is an amazing human being. He's going to share his story of how he came out and finding his way as a young gay man in the 90s and early 2000s. He's also going to teach us how your upbringing can dictate why you feel the way you do and what you can do to change that. He's going to talk about how a subconscious pattern can actually trap you into trying to be somebody you're not, why external sources of happiness don't bring lasting, meaningful fulfillment in your life. Shannon will speak on why every person has their own story they're working through 
and how we can learn from everyone we meet. We're also going to talk about trauma and how it continues to affect every part of our life until we do the inner work to heal it. Shannon and I will talk about having solid relationships and how being in connection and in relationship to others is the best way to heal. Plus, he's going to wrap up this week giving us some amazing questions and journal prompts to help you start a conversation with yourself to become more proud of who you are and come to that place of love and self-acceptance that we're all looking for. I can't wait for you to meet Shannon and I'd love for you to check out his podcast. After you're done listening to this, you can find the Soul Feed on any podcast platform. But in the meantime, sit back. You're going to meet Shannon Algio. He's going to tell us how to become proud of ourselves this week on Life Amplified. Shannon Algio, welcome to Life Amplified, my friend. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. I'm honored to be talking to you today. Thank you. Yeah, we were just talking before we started taping about your podcast, The Soul Feed, which I highly recommend my listeners go check out when they're done with this interview. But it was such an integral part of my journey out of corporate America and figuring out my life path. And you know, you've got some amazing interviews there. And at the time, you were working with a co-host on the podcast, who turned out to be my very first life coach. But this is a very full circle moment now, being able to have you here and and get you to share your story as well. Grateful that this whole world has brought us together and we get to spend some time connecting today. Thank you. We're just wrapping up Pride Month here in the U.S., although here in San Diego, Pride Month is actually this weekend because we're, you know, it's lazy surfers out here and I think everybody's a couple weeks behind. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's, pride should really just kind of extend throughout the year, in my opinion. It's such a joyful time. I guess, you know, part of my intention in having you on to share your story is that you recently went online and you were talking about your experience of finding pride within yourself as a gay man. And I think for me, as a straight guy who tends to live in my bubble, I live in a pretty liberal area and I was living in New York, which was a liberal area. It's It was easy for me to think, oh, well, you know, gay marriage has passed and it's all cool now. Like, you know, everybody's good. And then I've got to check myself and be like, you know what? We're really not good. There's a lot of areas in the country and in the world where there's a lot of people who are still struggling with their identity and they're still hiding. And what your story that you're going to share today, I think, really brought home for me is even when we, you know, whatever it is that you've overcome in your life and you are able to come to a place of being proud of yourself, we still also have to carry that scar tissue from the past. And it's an ongoing process of finding that unconditional love and acceptance for ourselves. Now, I think that you're going to be able to speak beautifully to that today, but maybe the best place is just to take us back to the beginning. Uh, You know, what were the early messages that you got growing up about gay people or gay culture? And how did that play in when the when the time came for you to begin by coming out to your family? I grew up in 1986. That's when I was born in Washington, D.C. and grew up in Maryland. Really, when I was coming of age and, and growing up in, in Catholic school, it was the 90s. And the 90s was a crisis for mostly gay men. Obviously, the, the HIV and the AIDS crisis was happening then. So a lot of the news and information about gay culture was that gay people are dying. That built in me a, an inherent fear of being that. Obviously, 
you know, for, I'll just speak for myself. For me, I didn't want to be associated with some something that would cause my death. And simultaneously, in Catholic school, when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I was being called gay by classmates, mm. mostly boys, but boys and girls, gay, uh, faggot. Shannon's a girl's name. You know, people would always say to me, "So here I am. I, I don't really know what." gay means. I don't know what that is. I don't have a sexuality. I'm five years old. However, something about me, something about the way that I am is causing this label to be plastered on me. And so my first response to that was to defend against being called that because I could tell that being called that was a bad thing. It was something to be ashamed of. That, that That's the energy that it was delivered. These people weren't saying it as a compliment. By the time that I came out of the closet to friends and, and to my parents. I was a sophomore in high school, fast forward many years now, to claim that I was gay meant to me that I was accepting this horrible thing about mm. myself, this thing that I should be ashamed of, this thing that's wrong about me. So so that was the beginning of my healing, to, to claim that, to own it, but much more work you know, at the time I was 16 now and now I'm 32. So I've had to live like another 16 years and, and the journey continues to heal my relationship with with what it means to be gay. I, I mean, another example here is I, I had a science teacher at my Catholic school in Maryland and we were assigned this project to do a report. I chose AIDS because my mom, she was a volunteer for the AIDS memorial quilt. So b between the Capitol in Washington and the Washington Monument, they built this mile long quilt and each family was able to build a patch of this AIDS memorial quilt that now spans many, many times the mm -hmm. length of, of that mile. But something about my mom volunteering was like, okay, this is something beautiful. This is something meaningful. There's recognition of honoring and remembering these people who we've lost. So I started to embrace it a little bit. And I said, okay, I'm going to do my report on AIDS. And when it came time for our big school, like parent visitation week, all of the reports from all of the kids in my class, all of my classmates reports were hanging on the wall in the hallway. And I remember excitedly walking through the hallway and looking for my report. I, I had put a picture of the AIDS memorial quilt on the cover of the laminated report. I was so proud of it. And it wasn't there. I had 31 kids in my class. There were 30 reports up on that wall. And I remember feeling confused. And and I believe I knew. I knew why it wasn't there. <laughs> I didn't want to know. And I was definitely confused. But my science teacher, who I looked up to and, and admired and respected, uh, he gave me a C minus on that impeccable report, if I do say so myself. <laughs> and he lost. He said that he lost it. Uh, and and the, you know the reasons for that were one of the questions he asked us to answer: what are the what are the ways of preventing this disease? And so, in addition to abstinence, I, I talked about condoms because National Institute of Health had issued a statement. You know, obviously, the research you know condom use prevents this disease. So I, it it was my responsibility to to name that in the report, but that and, and the expression of who is commonly affected by this disease, obviously I talked about gay men, that report was, was not okay. So, so anyway, the, these messages, these messages that come from teachers, schools, parents, society, you know, sometimes they're, they're big, bold messages like this. Sometimes they're subtle little messages. 
uh, but they have an impact and an imprint on our children. It had an impact on me. Sure. And that festers as a shame that, that at its essence is this belief that I am bad, broken, wrong, and unworthy of love, connection, belonging, and all, all of these things that, that we as human beings are entitled to and need. So becoming proud of myself has required much more than just coming out of the closet. It, it's required a, a constant inquiry uh, and consciousness around where these wounds arise and how I can show up to repattern them in my life. And when you talk about going through this experience of your report not being on the wall and feeling, you know, the guilt, shame, that maybe I can't speak up, my voice doesn't, like, what is the actual belief? Not that we ever consciously make a belief in that moment. I don't think any self-limiting paradigm that we create, it's not like we ever, we like consciously say, I am going to believe this moving forward. It always happens below the level of awareness. But looking back on it now, can you see maybe what the subconscious sentence or statement or belief was? I, you know, I think inherently I knew th th there was a part of me that didn't take it totally personally because I was aware that there was an injustice. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when I shared this with my mom, she advocated on my behalf. She affirmed how screwed up she used a more intense word, sure. <laughs> how screwed up this was. Luckily, I've had enough affirmation from my parents and other people in my life for me to identify that that is wrong. That's screwed up. That's effed up. However, there, there's also an internalized sense of why can't I be accepted? Why can't I be normal? My best work, even if it's my best, isn't good enough. It doesn't deserve to be seen. M me exploring something that is in alignment with my curiosity, my wonder as a human being and, and putting that into a paper that that deserves to be hidden. I knew it wasn't lost. He didn't lose it. Sure. He threw it away. I'm imagining as an adult and as somebody who has stepped into a huge level of leadership in your life, both as a podcaster and as a coach, did you find along the ways that there were ways that you were playing small, that you were shutting down, that you weren't showing up because there was still some subconscious patterning around that belief? Like what was, how was it showing up and affecting you before you realized you had to do the deeper healing work? Mm soon after this experience actually started to uh, get into musical theater mm -hmm. uh, and I ended up going to school for musical theater and which is a you know it's all about being seen and performing sure. acting being on stage amplifying one's presence for the greater good of a, of a show performance for the audience. So, I mean, I confronted all of this. I confronted, you know, do I deserve this? Am I good enough? Do I deserve this? Am I good enough? It goes even deeper than this one experience because it's, it's the way that trauma gets passed on and passed yeah. on and passed on. And shame has nothing to do with me. This, this culture of shame, all, you know, you look at the larger scope of, okay, well, why are these Catholic school cultures so ashamed of being gay? Well, look at what Catholic school cultures were hiding about their priests and monsignors doing to many boys and, and girls in those parishes. And in, so in those true. Churches. So true. There's this like larger thing of, of hide, like don't be seen, don't be your whole self. And the way that sexuality 
is shamed. It's not okay to have a sexuality. It's not okay to express one's sexuality. It leads to a numbness and a disconnection from this very inherent part of ourselves. So I've had to go through all of this, uh, both, you know, on stages, as a coach, as a speaker, as a podcaster, as a boyfriend, as a lover, every moment, every relationship is a defiance of this part of me that has been told to hide my true self. Everything is a practice in showing up and creating a new narrative where it's okay to be me and it's okay to show the world who I am. You know, it's so interesting that you mentioned the musical theater dynamic because I actually studied musical theater in college as well and pursued that for a brief period of time. And part of my experience, and and not that I can relate at all to what you went through, you know, on your journey of coming out and being seen as a young gay man. But I think a lot of people, regardless of their sexual orientation, can certainly relate to growing up in a home where you were told, hey, children should be seen, not heard, or that there's some sort of patterning that we can't fully be ourselves. And that manifests in a lot of different ways. But I know for me, like in the musical theater space, it was a great place for expression, But I also felt like it was a great place to hide behind a character. Like, I felt very safe standing on stage and performing and being someone else. And then I Mm. carried that into a nearly two-decade radio career where I could be this kind of snarky, sarcastic guy who made jokes, but yet to be seen as Dan. And this guy who, you know, had a lot of empathy and and had a desire to serve and a desire to inspire people, that was completely unsafe for me. So Mm. I wonder, like, sometimes for so many creative types, whether, you know, it's writing or whether it's performing, you know, sometimes it's a way to be seen with also without being fully seen, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, we form these identities that allow us to play safe. I think that's what you're what you're describing in your yeah. experience. And, and I was just writing a post because I just interviewed uh, Marianne Williamson, who is, you know, a presidential candidate for, sure. for the Democratic ticket. And I was really reflecting on her courage and her bravery and, and how easy it is. You know, she said in our interview, cynicism is just an excuse for not helping. And I and she called me out in the interview for being cynical about her own candidacy. So, so it's an interesting conversation. And this idea that I was reflecting on how Marianne is really putting herself out there and is really all in. And what it takes to, as Brene Brown talks about, to be in the arena to not just be in the stands or the sidelines pointing and talking about what everyone else is doing, but to really have your heart on the line and to put yourself out there and to be seen and to be rejected. That's the thing about building strength in one's self is I'm becoming, finally, I'm becoming confident in who I am being in the world to the point where I know I will be rejected and I know that I will know that that rejection has nothing to do with me. And that at the end of the day, when my head hits the pillow, I want to feel good about myself inside and how I chose to show up and and how I chose to be as much as I possibly can. Of course, I'm human. We're all human. But that's more important to me than whether people are applauding or booing, because I don't have any control over that. And, and I think when we start to get clear about 
what it is inside of us that makes us proud of who we are Mm -hmm. and we do that, then it doesn't matter so much what the response is. And of course, we all want success and abundance and applause and these worldly successes. But I know so many people who have millions of Instagram followers and and highly successful careers. And when the curtain is, is peeled, that doesn't guarantee their fulfillment and their success internally. I've seen that enough times to realize that it's so worth it to do the work of being proud of ourselves on the mm. front end before we get the response, the applause, the booze, the whatever we're going to get. It, it, as long as we're, we're honoring and respecting and being proud of, of ourselves, that's where we get to truly celebrate when we have a win. You know, you had mentioned earlier you use the word trauma which we go through in a variety of ways. I think that there is the big ways that get a lot of press publicly, whether it be, you know, physical abuse, domestic abuse, sexual abuse. But trauma also happens in a lot of other ways. It could be being called names, you know, in the, when you were in elementary school. It could be bullying. For some of us, you know, surviving corporate America becomes trauma. It it, it happens in a variety of ways. But one of the things that I know is true for my life and I see happen with a lot of people, especially when we talk about what is pride, there are so many of us, it's almost like we try to out success the original trauma, that if we create enough externally, enough financial abundance, create the house, create the best-selling book, the Instagram influence, that somehow we're immune from the trauma. I don't know if you see that with people, but I know it's it's something that has come up in in my life a lot. It's something that I've had to work through. But And it's almost like we create these task-based or accomplishment-based identities in order to be proud. But I guess what I'm hearing you say here is that being pride in just who you are at your essence, regardless of what you done is really the key to self-acceptance. Am I hearing you right? Yes. One of my mentors, Sean Korn, defines trauma, since you mentioned trauma, as anything that overwhelms our capacity to cope and leaves us feeling hopeless and helpless. Mm. And I think that's a really brilliant definition because I don't think we realize how often trauma is occurring. It's anything that overwhelms our capacity to, co- to cope and leaves us feeling hopeless or helpless. There's a lot of trauma in our everyday culture and, and trauma needs attention and healing. And yes, uh, to speak to what you just said, I have totally gotten really curious about what is driving me? Because even if what's driving me is beautiful and has the best of intentions and is helping people and is good in the world. If if I'm being driven by the wound, if I'm trying to cover up something or compensate for something because I'm, because there's actually a wound that needs healing, then no, no amount of success, money, Instagram followers, or fancy experiences with famous people or whatever you think is cool, none of that is going to matter because if you don't feel worthy when you receive whatever that is, then it's going to be empty. And so it's the small stuff that makes us proud of who we are. It's how we respond to that inflammatory email from a dissatisfied customer. It's it's how we respond to someone who scoffs at us in line at coffee. It's how we choose to smile at someone, take a deep breath and slow down and help 
someone find their way when they're lost on the street. It's doing the right thing when no one else is looking. It's these little tiny things that build up a sense of I am walking my path and honoring who I am and loving who I am. And those are the things that matter. So that when it doesn't matter if you're sitting down with the Dalai Lama or, you know, a drunk man at a bar who's going off. (laughs) This just happened to me last night. There was this drunk man just going, 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 going. It's like if I judge him and I make up some story about how screwed up he is and, and kind of shut him out, you know, there's just as much wisdom in him sitting in his trauma as there is in Deepak Chopra or Marianne Williamson or, or the Dalai Lama. There's wisdom in everything. And, and I think the more that we stay open to being good to ourselves and to one sure. another, I mean, ultimately, we just treat people the way that we treat ourselves and we treat ourselves the way that we treat other people. It's just this dynamic. So when I'm kind to someone else, that's me being nice to me. When I'm nice to myself, I'm strengthening that part of me that's going to be nice to someone else. It's uh, a process of, to your point, asking ourselves, what, what is driving me? What is driving me? Because ultimately we're all playing some game and we're often unconscious of the game that we're playing. And so when we ask ourselves, like, what is driving this behavior? What is driving this action? Where is this coming from? And we get clear that it's coming from a space of healing, a a space of a desire to serve and help and and be connected and be more of who we are and not from a place of scarcity of, of trying to compensate from some broken space within ourselves. Only we can know which it is. Merriam-Webster Dictionary offers a couple different definitions for the word pride. And that's why I think, you know, it's interesting because we talk about, you know, the pride parade. We talk about individually being proud of whoever we are. Yet it's really weird because pride in some cultures is also considered one of the seven deadly sins. There's the definition in the dictionary that says a feeling that you are more important or better than other people. Or inordinate self-esteem, which is what we're talking about here, trying to somehow chase pride through accumulation or being better than. And then there's the other definition, which is beautiful, which is a feeling that you respect yourself and deserve to be respected by others. Mm. And I guess what we're also throwing in is also showing respect for the people that you encounter, you know, so respecting yourself, other people and knowing that you're worthy of receiving respect. And that, I I think, is the beautiful definition and really kind of the hero's journey, I guess, that we're all on. Are we not? Absolutely. It's so interesting the way that some people in our culture, because of shame, make it wrong and make it a sin. To be proud of oneself is perceived as arrogant or excessive or masturbatory or or wrong in some capacity. So it's like true pride is an embodiment of honoring and loving oneself. Like you read the second second definition there. Uh, And I think we aren't doing the inner work to embody that sense of pride within ourselves. If we're not proud of who we are, if if we're not happy with who we are, then we are in our shame and we are in our trauma. And so if we just sweep that under the rug, then then we're going to play that out in our relationships. It's going to continue to, when we're not conscious of the parts of us that are unhealed, the parts of us that need love, the parts of us that need nurturing care, 
when we don't become conscious of, of those aspects within ourselves that, that have genuine human needs, uh, we sweep it under the rug. We say it's not important. We say, I don't want to meditate today. It's not worth my time. I'm not worth it. Who cares if I get that much sleep? I don't need to exercise. And then we become monsters. We become monsters <laughs> in our lives. We're, we're awful to the people that we're around. And then we pretend like being proud of yourself is some useless. So, so pride is it's just being good to yourself. It's just being the best you you could possibly be and knowing that that's exactly what you're doing. Sure, because at the end of the day, you know, there is an internal component to the work that we do. We have to be introspective. We have to be asking ourselves the tough questions. But I've always believed that the way we heal, the way that we learn to feel more lovable, to feel worthy, we do that in relationship with other people. We do that in those moments where we speak up about who we are or we put our authentic self out there and somebody gives us the gift of embracing that and seeing us and hearing us fully for who we are. It's sort of like this twofold experience of doing the inner work, but also healing through our relationships and building secure attachments. Yes, the collective really is. The collective, the systems, our government, our companies, these are the collective values of many individuals. All of the individual values get reflected in the purchases that, that we make, the people that we vote for. Our collective consciousness is amplified by our individual consciousness. This is why it's so profound when one person shifts, when one person heals, when one person transforms. That has an epic ripple. Is it enough? I believe it is enough if we continue to talk about it, if we continue to invite people in to, for more people to do this work, then it, it is amplifying. I think that the two interplay for sure, and we need to be addressing both. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes we get distracted by, oh, let me solve all the problems of the world. Let me do some social media post that's going to help so many people in the world. But what you're saying, Dan, is that it's the relationships that really count. We heal through relationship, relationship to self and relationship to mm -hmm. one another. How's your relationship with your mom? How's your relationship with your wife or your boyfriend or your husband or your whatever? How's your relationship with your kid, your dog? How's your relationship with that person who's having a panic attack on the side of the road? The, the healing happens in relationship. And it's we have the power today on social media through podcasts to have a widespread breach. And that is beautiful. If we have this widespread reach, but we're not really showing up with the people who we're sharing physical space with, first and yeah. foremost, ourselves. So many people isolating. So many people mm. isolating more than ever. I mean, you see that in the stats that as a culture, the, the rates of loneliness have doubled over the last 30 years that, mm. you know, we tend to just try to go within and go within the turtle shell. And there's a place for self-reflection. But love is built in the repair, you know, with other people and being able to heal and be seen and to give others the space to be seen. Yeah, we're, we're really seeing the impact of rugged individualism coupled with social media and our cell phones rearing its ugly head in a beautiful way, I might add. I think we are being called to reckon with the parts of our culture and the parts of ourselves that aren't healthy, that are rooted in trauma that needs healing. And we are not meant to isolate. We are not meant to be this self-sustaining. We are meant to be with each other, cooking, in community, 
hugging, embracing. We're meant to be together. We're meant to work together. On one hand, scary to see uh, you know, suicide rates increasing, opioid addiction increasing, depression, anxiety, and, at, and also it's an opportunity to really confront, how did we get here? How did we get here? How is this happening? And to really value healing, therapy, 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 therapy. I, I can't, I mean, yes. the transformation that has happened for me personally in therapy and, and seeing the patterns that have played out in my family and how it's so much bigger than me. Yes. If I didn't have access to that, I would be in a ditch right now. This isn't something that's negotiable anymore. We live in a time where, where we need people to have access to therapy or it's going to be, the, the price we will pay, it will be very high. So there's an exciting opportunity in it as, in it as well, I think. One of the things that you shared recently was a series of questions and journal prompts that could just be, you know, it's not the finish line. It's not that somebody will write these questions and be like, oh, my God, I'm so self-proud and I'm in love and full acceptance of myself. But because that's really a process. It's not an event. But you had some questions that you shared recently where people could spend some time to take that first step to really become more proud of themselves, regardless of their race, gender, sexual orientation, how they identify. This is, you know, pride at the end of the day, as we're talking about, it's just an internal thing that we all need to bring forward. Would you be willing to share some of those questions with us to uh, finish up today? Yeah, it's really helpful to identify what exists in you that you're already proud of. Because this isn't about something that we're pulling out of thin air. There, there are qualities and attributes within you, Dan, you listening right now, me, that we can already be proud of. So pride is a practice. Being proud of ourselves is not becoming someone who we're not. Being proud of ourselves is becoming who we truly are and who we always have been. So one of the prompts is to identify what are three things that you, that you love about yourself. I'm studying the work of Jerry and Esther Hicks and Abraham Hicks, and they have this, uh, this really powerful practice of identifying if your thoughts are upstream or downstream. And upstream thoughts are like thoughts that, of what I don't like about myself. Oh, I'm a little flabby here. Oh, I'm a little wrinkly here. I'm a little – and they create a momentum in an upstream way of creating resistance and self-hatred, and it's going down a path I don't want to go down. So downstream thoughts are identifying right now three things that you love about yourself, three things that you are proud of. What are you proud of about yourself right here, right now? It just takes a little movement in the right direction and to, to create a snowball effect. Sure. All you got to do is identify three things that you're grateful about about yourself, three things that you, that you love and respect and are proud of right now, and you're opening up your mind to go down that road. Another thing that Abraham Hicks teaches is the worse it gets, the worse it gets, the worse it gets, and the better it gets, the better it gets, the better it gets. So with our attention and our consciousness right now, which direction do we want to go in? If we want to go in, the better it gets, the better it gets, the better it gets, then what can we identify about ourselves right now that we are proud of? Love that because what we focus on is what we feel and the emotions that we're feeling will ultimately dictate the action that we take to change our life. So being able to focus on what we're proud of instead of what we're shameful of or what we're judging ourselves for becomes everything. So I love that. Another one is what can I let go of? What mm -hmm. am I doing? Maybe it's a behavior, a pattern, a relationship that 
is coming from a place of scarcity. Because the truth is, is that when we're not proud of ourselves, we're not honoring something. We're not honoring a value, a core part of our essence is being dishonored. So can you identify a pattern or a habit or a person? Sometimes those are the hardest ones to identify that is affirming a belief about yourself that is not true. Once you've identified that, can you perhaps do a little bit of work here journaling about where that might come from? And if that's helpful, and this is where hair uh, therapy is very helpful because it can help identify these roots, but, but there's a next step that's really important, and it's to ask yourself and journal about this as well, what can I do right now to make me proud of me? And I, I'm telling you, this can be sometimes so simple. Like I, I eat muesli in the morning with, with almond milk. So sometimes it's just like the night before I go to bed, putting my muesli in a bowl, pouring the almond milk over it so it can soak in the fridge overnight sprinkle some cinnamon on top and I feel like I'm like, oh, I'm really killing it. I'm on top of it. You know, like these little things, these little actions, obviously that's a teeny tiny one, but so it can go from micro to super macro. Yeah, but But it's better than pulling through, you know, McDonald's and getting the egg McMuffin in the morning because you didn't have your breakfast ready. You know, so it's it's that little thing that sets you up for a win the next day that builds pride and builds self-esteem. Yep, exactly. That's the thing that I hope that anyone who's listening right now can remember is how just the simplest little act in the direction of being proud of who you are. And and it all comes from asking ourselves the right questions. We find answers to the questions that we're asking ourselves. Sure. So a lot of times people call me and they're like, why am I doing this all the time? Why am I doing this all the time? I'm like, okay, well, if you want to know why you're doing this all the time, then you're just going to perpetually be looking for reasons why you're the real question you're asking yourself is why am I a horrible, awful person who keeps fucking up? Yeah. (laughs) And so (laughs) is that the question you want to be asking yourself? Oftentimes we're just asking ourselves shitty questions. If we ask ourselves a more empowering question, like what do I want to let go of and who do I want to be? What action can I take to show up and be true to myself right now? The answers that we seek and the actions that we take uh, out of that, that questioning literally changes uh, our lives and how we feel internally. Yes, that's such a big one, a big one that I ask myself a lot when I feel stuck or if I'm feeling like I just hit a wall is what is trying to emerge from within me right now? Dan, six, mm. seven years ago would have asked, oh, my God, why does this always happen to me? What's wrong with me? Why, why is life against me? And when you're asking those questions, you'll get answers to those, too. You'll find more reasons why that there's something wrong with you. And being able to ask the empowering questions, I think, is so powerful. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. Why do you love yourself? What a great question. And to have three three things. What do I love about myself? Not related to an accomplishment. Not because, well, I got a promotion at work or, hey, I'm, I mean, and not that that's not important, but really trying to get away from the task-based identity and really embrace just the qualities that you are already born with, the things that you're already abundant, that you were given all these gifts at birth by whatever force you believe in that created you. And again, one that I've really had to work on a lot is not focusing on the task or accomplishment as a source of pride because that just creates a never-ending hamster wheel and you'll never get there wherever Mm -hmm. there is. 
Yep. The qualities that you're identifying that you're proud of, that you love about yourself are internal qualities that are not tied to achievement. And, you know, it's it's not a one size fits all because sometimes it's helpful for some folks to identify something that they did that they're proud of because sure. that's sure. what they that that might be the medicine for you and me, Dan. I don't think that that's it, though. <laughs> yeah, everything is balanced. I think if you had given me this a couple of years ago, all I would do is list three accomplishments. And that's why I'm proud. Mm. I'm proud of myself because what I do, not because of who I am. That's a big one. I'm still working through it. That, that's mm. a big, you know, my identity that used to be wrapped up and oh, look, I got this corporate career and I'm on the radio and I got this nice house. It's funny how it can be replaced even when you're doing more meaningful, purposeful work with look how much I've grown my business and look at what I'm doing away from corporate America. And that's still not, you know, I can only speak for myself at the end of the day. You know, what I have to remind myself is the person that I became in order to get here to create this life, that I had to become courageous. I had to separate myself from the expectations of my family or my peer group, that I was daring, that I was risk-taking, and that I you know, chose a career path that allows me to this day to be able to give and be of service rather than consume. I mean, really what we're talking about is, is an awakening of spirituality, an awakening of the unseen because we are taught to value the physical world as more real than the non-physical world, all that is unseen. We have 37.2 billion cells inside of our body right now. The unseen, the qualities about who we are, our internal landscape and experience, I think that's the waking up that's happening. And that's what spiritual practice really is, is valuing the unseen uh, as much as, if not more, than, than the, the physical stuff. Because truly, it's all connected, and, but where all of the physical stuff emerges from is the unseen. Shannon, this has been an incredible conversation, and I so appreciate your vulnerability and your insight today and all of your wisdom. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Thank you for having me, Dan. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, you can find Shannon online, shannonalgio.com. He has a free self-care meditation that you can download there. And by all means, go check out his podcast, The Soul Feed with Shannon Algio. It's awesome, and it was a big part of my self-development journey, and I think it'll give you you a lot of inspiration as well. Shannon, we'll have to do this again, my friend. This was great. Absolutely. I'd love to talk to you anytime, Dan. Thank you for having me. I'm really grateful and, and appreciated our time together. Thank you. I would love to hear your aha moments and what some of your biggest takeaways were from that interview with Shannon. If you loved what you heard this week, all you have to do is screenshot this podcast. You can upload it to Instagram. Be sure to tag me at CSC Dan Mason and you can tag Shannon, Shannon.algeo, A-L-G-E-O. And be sure to share any of your breakthroughs with us. And don't forget to check out Shannon's podcast, The Soul Feed, which is available on all podcast platforms. Hey, if you're looking for some coaching or mentorship to help you get clear on who you really are, not who you were conditioned to be, so you can create an amplified career and life, I've got you. VIP coaching spots open for August. All you have to do is go to my website, fill out an application, Creative Soul Coaching. 
Net. We'll put a link to that in the show notes for you as well. And if the message inspired you this week, please, by all means, share this with a friend. The mission here at Life Amplified, reach an audience of 100 million people. And every time you tell your friends about what you're learning and you share this link with somebody else, it helps us get closer to that goal. Love you so much for listening, fam. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me this week. And don't forget, it's time to turn down the volume on your negativity and turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live Life Amplified. I'll talk to you next week.